This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Well, we are starting a brand new series today. It's called Hall of Faith, and we're going to be discussing uh, the subject, the biblical subject of faith um, for the next many weeks. But I wanted to encourage you again, even though this we, we completed our series, Write It Down, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I was semi-forcing you to write things down in that series, but I wanted to remind you that we have note paper available at the Connect Bar on your way in, and we encourage you uh, to take note during the message, just like we said during the Write It Down series. It, it actually affects you, um, it impacts you, and the idea is that you would remember the things that God is speaking to your heart, so it's important to write those down. You can grab the note paper at the Connect Bar. All right. So we're going to be looking at faith in the next little while. A uh, really important topic in the New Testament. We see um, this idea, this principle, this word emphasized in the New Testament. We see Jesus emphasizing faith. Um, when he would heal people, he would give credit to their faith, that their faith had made them whole. And then he would be teaching the disciples. And many times somebody would act a certain way and do something um, relating to faith. And he would stop and teach them, look, this is great faith. And then sometimes he would say to the disciples, why do you have such little faith? So what we're going to be doing uh, for the next many weeks, we're going to be spending time in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great chapter of faith in the New Testament. We see a bunch of stories about a bunch of individuals from the Old Testament and things that they accomplished and did by faith. It's kind of a hall of faith, uh, and that's what we're discussing. But the point of the series, um, Hebrews chapter 12 follows up Hebrews chapter 11, obviously. And at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, now that we know all of these people, um, that we see that they've lived and acted by faith, we know that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we should run our race. And the implication is that we should be running the race of faith, that we should be living our lives according to faith. And then when we do that, we will be celebrated like them and we can get in this great chapter of faith if we do the same things they did. And that's what's important to realize um, what's celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11 is people did things by faith. Now, depending on what tradition you grew up in, if you grew up in a certain type of tradition, you kind of just thought God was there to make you feel guilty. And he was making, making you feel ashamed about your life and everything you've done wrong. And then you show up to church to feel extra guilty or maybe get rid of the guilt. We're not sure. And then next Sunday, we're going to make you feel guilty all over again. Um, but that's not the point of, of what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. These people did things. They accomplished things. Uh, they were inspired and they were challenged by God to do things. And they did these things by faith. And so we're going to be looking at and understanding what faith is for the next many weeks. So let's just start reading here uh, in Romans chapter 1. We'll start reading a famous, very famous portion of scripture about the subject of faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, the implication is by saying righteous, it's the people who have faith in God or have a relationship with God. 
given to them by God through Jesus, those people should live by faith. That faith is actually a relational term. It is about being in relationship with someone else. It's not just faith in ideas or principles, that it is actually faith in God. Now, faith uh, operates the same way on every level. And the reality is that everyone who lives on the earth today lives by faith. Now, some people don't live by faith in God, but they live by faith in principles and ideas that are changing and shifting. But really, the idea of faith, the, the concept of faith is a relational one. Now, almost on a daily basis, my wife will text me a list so when I'm leaving church, I will stop at the grocery store to get things for her. Um, and a lot of times, because she's American, she, she has like American things that she wants to cook. But sometimes, um, for those of you that are American, let me inform you, that some of the ingredients that you have in the States are not named the same things in Canada. But my wife doesn't care. She just gives me the American name, and I have to go stand in the grocery store they like, is that it? No, that's not it. I look at the list again. I text her, is this it? And she's like, no, can you FaceTime me? So like I'm in the aisle FaceTiming my wife. Is this the proper thing? Because I don't want to go home with the wrong thing. And what she's basically depending on when she sends me to the grocery store with the list is she has faith in me. Not that I'll exactly get the right ingredients, but at least that I will try. I, I will at least go into the grocery store, <laughs> give my best effort. So what is that? She has faith in me that I'll get it. She has a trust. She has a relationship in me, uh, with me as it relates to doing something. It's the same way we have faith in each other. When we drive down the street, we have faith that the drivers beside us will stay in their lane. We have a relationship, a negotiated relationship that we're going to have faith in each other, that we will each stay in our lane. We have a trust thing. And when somebody veers into our lane, trust is broken and relationship is broken. Now, well, now I, I mentioned this idea that everybody lives by faith. Everybody lives a, according to something. They believe something. Not everybody believes in God or puts their trust in God. But everybody has their faith in some sort of ideas, principles, axioms, things that are happening in culture. But the, the difference is here, the just shall live by faith, the, the righteous will live by faith, implying a relationship with God. Now, what's different between that and just living according to principles? Principles from the culture, that the culture offers us something right now, certain ways to think and certain principles to live by that are always changing. Have you noticed this? For those of you that have lived long enough, things that were you know, celebrated and talked about or maybe put down 40 years ago have now flipped. Now those things are no longer celebrated. They're put down and the things that were put down are now celebrated. So we can't live our lives based on those things because those things are always changing and shifting. We can't just live in relationship to principles and idea that God wants us to live by faith in him. We can't have our faith in politics. Here's a, here's a couple different reasons why we can't live by faith in politics. And we live in a pol politically saturated environment. The news that comes our way is politically saturated. And, and one of the reasons that we can't live by that way is, generally speaking, half of the population will vote one way and half of the population will vote the other way. So, in essence, I'm against half of the population. 
And then uh, our politicians are changing and then they're going to hold up this policy and celebrate this policy and it's going to be changing and shifting all the time. We can't be living by faith in that. That's not a firm foundation. That is not a solid rock to live on. God wants us to live by faith in him. It's personal. This is how we're describing our relationship with God. The just, the righteous will live by faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All faith is coming this way. Here's some, somebody says, here's a way to live and somebody will say, okay, I'll live this way. Once again, someone who's not living by faith in God will just live based on ideas and principles. They are putting their faith in those ideas. But what we're supposed to be doing what this relational idea of faith is, that I'm going to hear something about Jesus, or as we examine these stories in Hebrews chapter 11, we can see how these individuals put their faith in God. And we have some detail, and we can go back and look at the stories, and we can see what the actions of faith look like, what the attitudes of faith look like. Because once again, faith is celebrated. This is how God wants us to live. God wants us to live by faith in him. Not just ideas, principles, axioms, and thoughts, but he wants us to live by faith in him, make it personal towards him that we would put our trust in him and then act out a life of faith. Now, when we think about understanding what faith is, just in general terms, we we know God is a God of grace. We've talked about this many times at church, and God is offering us a relationship with him by grace. And then the faith part, the believing part, the conviction part on our side is to say yes and to receive what God gives to us by grace. And when we receive what God gives to us, this is called faith. When God tells us something, when God gives to us wisdom, He offers us a way to live according to his word. And when we obey the word, obedience is faith. It's me responding to something God gives or something God says or something God does. That response is called faith. It is is the human side of what God is asking us to do. He gives us all of these things. He offers us blessings. He offers us wisdom. He offers us salvation. The part, the action part on our end is called faith. So that's what we're going to be talking about as we go through this whole chapter. So another uh, term for the word faith is belief, trust, loyalty, confidence, reliance. And once again, this is confidence in God. This is relying on God. It's putting our trust in God, not just ideas and principles. So let's get started this morning. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word also means ground or it means confidence, that I have this confidence. The ground that I'm standing on as it relates to an expectation for my future, that's what things hoped for means. 
that the assurance that I have is in God, not just ideas, not just thoughts. It is actually him, the ground that I'm standing on. The reason that we can have faith in God is that he's a faithful God, that he can be trusted. So I have this assurance. Now faith is the assurance. I have this assurance in life as it relates to my future. Why? Because I'm putting my confidence in God. The conviction of things not seen. I have a conviction about my future. I'm persuaded of something. That's another way of describing faith. I'm persuaded of something based on the character and nature of God. He is this way. I put my faith in him. Hebrews uh, 11 verse 2 says, For by it the people of old received their commendations. In other words, this is how uh, these stories that we're going to look at and celebrate, they were commended because they did things by faith. And the same is going to be true for us. When we take action in our lives based on faith in God, who the Father God is, that he is faithful and trustworthy, and he's offering things to me by grace. He's talking to me. He's giving me directions. He's, he's uh, giving me principles to live by, but I don't just have faith in the principles. I have faith in the principle giver. That we're putting our trust in him. So we're going to be commended the same way that they were commended in the Old Testament. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We see this in the creation story that God spoke and there was something. And God spoke and there was something. That he was framing the world. That he was creating the universe with the power of his words. And as we look at these stories, we will see over and over again things that people said and not just things that they said, but things that they did. And there was a combination of both of these things. That as we put our faith in God, it actually changes what we say. And then we change what we say. We can actually frame our world with our words, saying the word of God. So that what is seen was not made of things that are visible Verse 4, here's the first person we're going to look at in this series. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this is the disposition that God wants us to have as it relates to faith. Oh, God exists and he's there. And if he's there and he exists, what he wants us to believe is that he actually rewards those who seek after him. We're putting our faith and our trust in him. And that pleases God. Living by faith in God pleases God. And this is what he wants us to know, and this is how he wants us to operate. But this story we're going to look at today, we're going to look at this individual named Abel. Now, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's children, and where we find this story is Genesis chapter 4. So let's turn over there, and let's read about these two brothers in the book of Genesis. So when we go back to Hebrews there, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So what? Abel is famous for and what he's commended for 
is the sacrifice that he offered to God. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read the story. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Cain was the firstborn, the oldest in the family. Now, I'm not so sure about all of the firstborns in the families. Let me just tell you that the firstborns in the family are not like us babies. You know, us babies of the family, we're easygoing, kind of joke around a little bit. The firstborn, they're kind of just a little bit angry all the time. You know what? They're a little bit into the rules. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any babies of the family is like, come on, lighten up. But you firstborns, you come by it naturally. We gave you so much attention. And we just, too much attention. And then we turned you into these angry people now. But the babies in the family were just nice. <laughs> so Cain is the older brother. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. So basically, Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer, that they had different responsibilities within the context of this family. And it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So they obviously had been trained uh, by their parents uh, within the family context. Hey, it's time to offer something to God. It's, it's time to sacrifice something to God. And that's what we see described in Hebrews chapter 11, what Abel is he's famous for giving an offering. He's sacrificing something. And when we think about sacrificing something, it just basically means something that I have that isn't actually for me. Something that is my own, something that I've worked for, something that's in my possession, and then I'm actually going to offer this to God. That I'm going to honor God with it. I'm going to, uh, to lift it up in a sense, that I'm going to bring this to God. And so we see that the two brothers, based on what they did for a living, what they did in the context of the family responsibility, were going to bring two different offerings. So Cain, because he's a farmer, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, and then now we see here, contrasted Abel's offering. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. Now, this is the good use of the word fat. Generally, we don't use the word fat in this way. But just fat means the best part, the, the sort of um, the choice part. And this is what the fat men in this respect. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. Now, we're not exactly sure how this was communicated, but we see this idea, this principle, that they both brought two different offerings. And it wasn't so much that God doesn't like vegetables or fruit or something like that, and he's holding it against them because he's a farmer. But what we can see in the description of the offering, that there was a little more intentionality, there was a little more thought, there was a little more heart, put in to Abel's offering than there was to Cain's. Let's read the description again. Verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. That's all that it says. And then about Abel, it said, he brought the firstborn of the flock and the fat portions. He brought the first one and then he brought the best one. 
And then there's no description about Cain's. He just brought an offering. You know, boys, it's time to offer something to God. Cain's just like, okay, here's, here's what I have. I'm going to bring this. Abel's like, okay, I, where's that firstborn? That idea of the firstborn was very important in this time. And then not only a firstborn, he had to find the best one. So there was some intentionality, there was some thought, there was some heart going into what he was offering God, not just offering something to God. And this is one of the stories that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that is celebrated as it relates to faith. That Abel, the way Abel gave the sacrifice, not that he just gave a sacrifice, but the way, the heart with which he gave his sacrifice or his offering was accepted, and then Cain's wasn't. Now, I made the joke earlier about the firstborn, but within this culture, the firstborn uh, had a lot of rights and privileges within the family. And if there was any family business or if there was any inheritance, uh, that firstborn child got the lion's share of the inheritance more than any of the other children. And so potentially in a culture like that, if you are the firstborn, you could just kind of think, you know what? I'm special in the family. Now, that could happen at any birth order spot there. But you can just think, you know, I'm special in the family. And that could be what was in Cain's mind. I'm special in the family. But then when it's a time to offer their sacrifices, it said God regarded or accepted Abel's offering. And then Cain's offering, he didn't accept. He says he had no regard for it. Next words, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now here's something to think about in our relationship with God. We've said this before. God is always right. God is always the correct one in our relationship with God. So if God doesn't accept your offering and God doesn't accept something about you, it's not like God is going to change. And here in this situation, you know, he was, it said his face fell. And he was very angry as opposed to thinking, okay, okay, God, what do I need to do? Because this would be the good next question. If my offering wasn't accepted, what do I need to do? But instead of doing that, he was just mad. And it could have been because he was the firstborn that he didn't want to ask. And he could have just thought because I'm the firstborn, everything I do is great and it's going to be accepted. But if we look at this a little bit deeper, Abel's heart was more in his giving. He had a different level of honor for God than Cain did. No description about Cain's offering. He just gave something. Well, here's what I have. I'm going to give this to God. Abel spent some time thinking about it. I'm going to give the best to God. I'm going to honor God. And this is what we learn about our giving. This is what we learn about our hearts in the story. See, part of the story, the contrast of the Cain and Abel, is we could look at this story and be like, yeah, I I understand Abel, and I understand that heart of love and honor towards God. Or we could look at the story, and we could be Cain in the story. And be like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw God a fiver every once in a while. You know, I'll just, whatever, a loony or toony, I'm not, whatever I've got in my pockets, whatever I have at the moment, that's what I'll give to God. That's a little bit different way to honor God 
than what we would see about Abel. He's got something in his heart. He's got an affection for God. He's got something going on on the inside of him. And this is where all giving comes from. All true generosity comes and it starts in our hearts, not just with what's in our hands and not just what we're giving away, but it's, it's, it's something that starts deep on the inside of us. And this is what we see being talked about in the story, these contrasted brothers. So a, Cain was very angry and his fell on his face. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, God is dealing with something in the heart of Cain in this moment. Uh, Cain, I need you to adjust something in your heart as it relates to what you're giving to me. That, That sin is there and it's at the edge of what you're doing and how you're thinking right now. You're angry and your face has fallen. And all you have to do is make a little bit of an adjustment. But he was angry. And how do we know why he was angry? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He didn't want to make the change. He didn't want to change his heart. So angry at the situation, so angry at his younger brother that God had accepted his offering and then his offering was rejected. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And it's not that he didn't know where he was or what had happened. He wanted Cain to describe something. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's where we use that famous line all of the time. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, what's being discussed in this story, once again, this, this area of giving as it relates to us, it is something that starts in our heart. And it is, it, when we talk about offering, when we talk about honoring God, that's what we are talking about. It's a place of honor. It's not a place of, oh, God is an afterthought. Honor means first place. We give God the first place in our heart. And this is not just for what we give at church. This is how we live our lives. The disposition that we have all of the time, God first. And this is how we live by faith. And it's interesting that this story is the first story. It is the starting place because here's the reality for all of us. And this includes me. For all, for all of us that are giving or potentially giving on a, on a Sunday as we, as we want to honor God, what is actually happening? Is it just the simple transaction of me, you know, giving something to the church? Or is there something a little bit deeper? Because I think what the story is telling us, there's actually something deeper going on. Because here's the reality. When I, when I work, when I go to work and I receive funds and I, somebody gives me something for something that I would do, the attitude and the place of honor is that what we're saying is we're stopping and thinking, how is it that I can actually go to work? How is it that I can think? How is it that I can breathe? Why does my heart beat? You know, if you took grade 10 biology, there's a sinoatrial node in your brain and it sends an electrical signal down to your heart and your heart beats. 
I have a question for you. Did you put that electricity in your body? Did you self-manifest? Or, or was there some other process that's gone on that we can actually breathe and think and live? And the idea is, you know what? If I stop and think about it, that actually all comes from God. And so when I give, when, when me and my family give every Sunday here at the city church, part of the realization is that without God, we are nothing and we have nothing. So why would we not honor God with all that he's given to us, with all that he's blessed us with? It's not just something that's coming out of my hand that's going from one bank account to another. It is actually a deep a deeper heart question that Abel, he gave of the first part and he gave the best part. I'm going to give this to God. Cain was just like, let's just give something to God. Let's just, you know, it's offering. I guess we have to give something. No, it's a, it's, it's a deeper question. And once again, this, this has to do with you and your relationship with God. This has nothing to do with me. Even though on a weekly basis, we'll have somebody up here and we will talk about offerings. And, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I don't actually know what you give here at the City Church. I, on purpose, don't look at giving records because it could influence me either way. Wouldn't you think that'd be true? I could either really like you or really not like you. Based on what you give. And it would all be misinformation anyway because I don't even know how much you make and I don't want to know how much you make. Because it's actually between you and God. And this story is for all of us. This story is for all of us to come to grips with this idea. is like, why do I have what I have? And then the deeper answer is God has given me everything that I have. And so I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice and honor God. And it's not, God's not some afterthought in my life. You know, my wife and I both grew up in families and both got to watch our parents tithe. So it was, it was never a question for us whether or not we're going to tithe. We would never, we would never think about not tithing. It's just a part of how we've grown up and how we think. But that's something that's given to us by our parents. Here's what you do. And when we give it to church, we know we can have a church building. You know, I've had people in the past, like not for a while, but somebody like argue with me about tithing. And I'm like, we're standing in a building that was paid for by people who tithe. I don't know what we're talking about. Anyway, separate issue. Um, (laughs) Pastor moment. Uh, But beyond just something our parents said we should do. There has to come for all of us a Cain and Abel moment where are we actually thinking, you know, I want to honor God with what I have and I want to worship God with what he's given me, not something somebody else is telling me to do, whether it's me or some other famous preacher or anybody who stands up here on a Sunday morning. We're not trying to extract money out of you. It is this that we all have to face, this idea that I'm going to honor God. I want to honor God. I choose to worship God. I choose to sacrifice something that's mine. And I say, you know what? This isn't actually mine. All of this isn't mine. I don't actually have any of it if it's not for God. 
So I give back to him. I sacrifice something that has come my way and I give it to God. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This sheds so much light on this idea. And don't worry, we're not taking up any more offerings this morning, all right? So just everybody relax. And I can't, we can't force you to give anyway, so it's super relaxed, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So he told them that they were going to give an offering so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Here's, this is such a good principle. A willing gift, not an exaction. This is why tithing is better than taxes. Tithing is a willing gift. Taxes are exacted from you at the source. You don't even get a chance. Unless you're working in the black market, and that's another discussion. At the source, if you are working at a legal employer in the country of Canada, taxes are taken. They're not, they don't ask you, hey, do you want your tax dollar used for this? And we're like, roads, yeah, I, I love roads. And healthcare, it's amazing. Some of the other stuff, I'm not sure I want to pay for it, but they're not asking me. They have exacted it. Are you with me today? What's the other thing? It's, it's a willingness. We don't want anyone to give at the city church that's not willing to give. This is, this is, it's, it's the heart choice. Don't give it because you think we're forcing you to give. It, w- it would be a willingness. Not an exact, I'm not exacting it. We're not exacting it. God is not exacting it. He wants you to willingly offer it. But then he does comment about our heart. Hebrews chapter 11. That Abel's offering was a little bit different than Cain's. For Cain, listen, God was an afterthought. For Abel, God was the first thought. Let's keep reading. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So we get to choose. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not someone else deciding for them. But what we're all should be doing is we should be deciding in our own heart. Not reluctantly or under a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful one. Why would we be cheerful when we're sacrificing something to God, when we're giving something away? Because part of the thing is we actually know who God is already based on you living and breathing. That he is a generous God. Have you looked around the earth? Is there an abundance of supplies for you and me and actually for the rest of the people in the earth? There's tons of things out there God has provided generously. And so what do we do? We give with love and our hearts for God. And we're just going to give cheerfully. Knowing that God is a provider. Let's keep reading. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. So that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times may abound in every good work. Everywhere we see in the scripture, 
talking about generosity and giving. There's always a follow-up verse or thought about, hey, when we give, but remember, God is always giving back to you. And God is always giving to you before you give anything to him. This is who he is. And you even get to keep breathing, even if you don't tithe. Because that's who God is. He is generous. He is generous. He's a giver. What he's wanting to do is to put our faith in him and take that character piece from him and live it out. He gives and he gives and he gives. And we've always heard it said, you can't outgive God. Why? Because God has given us all to us. Not just in the stuff that we have and experience, but he's given us all to us in Jesus. He's given us everything. He's given us life and he's given us new life. He lets us breathe and then he lets us breathe in his presence. He's given us everything we have in every respect. And that's why he says he loves a cheerful giver, somebody that's slowed down like Abel. It said, you know what? It's time to sacrifice something to God. What are we going to give to God? Well, let's find that, that firstborn. Let's find the best one. That's what I'm going to offer to God. Because that's what he gives to me. That's what he gives to all of us. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed sown and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's harvest season. We're celebrating the harvest this weekend. And this, I didn't actually plan for this message to be on Thanksgiving weekend. It just worked out really well. See, we're here on Thanksgiving weekend. This is, this is a deep philosophical question. You can talk about it at lunch. But for people who don't believe in God, who are they thanking this weekend? Because thankfulness is a relational term. When you sit down at your table tonight or tomorrow or both days, and if you're having turkey or you're vegetarian, whatever you're doing... Whatever you're feasting on and you sit down and mom or dad or somebody says, what are you thankful for? And we say, I'm thankful for whatever. Who are you thanking? Who are we thanking? We're thanking God. We're thanking the provider of all providers. See, in the scripture, we see over and over again, they would have these feasts to celebrate God's provision. So as you sit down at your feast today or tomorrow or both days, what we're supposed to be celebrating and where these principles came from for a thanksgiving was from the word of God. That we sit down at the feast and we don't feel guilty for the feast. We're like, God has provided this for us so thankful that without him we don't have anything without him we are nothing thankfulness to God for his constant provision 
Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Generosity produces thanksgiving. Generosity produces thanksgiving. See, if we're just holding, if we're just holding on, if we're just anything that we have, I hold on to it and know it's mine. Think about this with me today. No, this is mine. I earned it. I worked for it. Is there any thankfulness in there? No, generosity moves us to thanksgiving. When I give, it's like, oh yeah, God gave me this. This thing that I have, this life that I experience. God has blessed me with it. Last verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, I know most likely none of you are farmers in here today. The idea of produce is not the issue. It's the first part. going to honor God. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst out with new wine generosity and he's generous with us aren't you thankful this morning that we serve a generous giving providing loving heavenly father amen let's just pray this morning god we we worship you today we thank you we thank you for your goodness in our lives we're so thankful lord for all of the blessings that we have everything that you have given to us has come from you And we just worship you and thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you help us to be generous. And you help us to have an honoring attitude towards you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.